God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. There's one thing that has a tendency to follow individuals and bring, I would say, um, you know, deep regrets. And it's a thing called procrastination. But in truth, most all of us, I would say all of us at some point find ourselves procrastinating something. And it, the tendency to procrastinate, if you're not sure what that word or that word is kind of new and uh, you don't always know what it means, it means we just put things off. We don't tend to responsibilities for whatever reason. And the reasons can be multiple. The reasons may be we don't feel like we have the time to do it justice. It could be we have other things that are more urgent to tyranny of the urgent. It could be we don't have the emotional, emotional capital. I mean, this was me in my garage. I mean, you guys, I've, if you've been here at Christ Place, you've heard me talk about my garage. And I finally got to it. I had been putting it off for literally years. And the primary reason was all of my mom's stuff was in the garage. And after my mom passed away, I had difficulty, you know, kind of processing and going through her things. I didn't have the emotional um, means. I didn't feel like I had the emotional means or where for all to actually process her stuff. So I kept putting it off, putting it off. Well, whatever the reason, we, we procrastinate. We put things off. And sometimes it's not even about the emotional attachments or associations. It could be we just don't feel like we do a good job and we don't want to do it if it's not going to be done right. And things get put off. Well, there's one thing that's Christ followers. And this is primarily a conversation to Christ followers. And if you are maybe looking into Christianity or you, maybe you're just here because, you know, someone has bribed to give you lunch or something. Man, I'm just glad you're here. But listen in, because this is really a message that I think is extremely essential for anyone that calls himself a Christian. And it's about a precedent of us confronting a thing called procrastination, and specifically in the area of prayer. We can't afford to continue to procrastinate not being a man or woman of prayer. I believe God wants every single Christ follower in the house or watching online or at our campuses, God wants every Christ follower in his church to have a culture of prayer, to have a prayer life. Now, I know most believers, we pray throughout the day. I mean, aren't you glad? You can be driving your car and just pray, or you can be at work and your boss says something that really tick you off and you can pray. You know, I love that we can pray throughout the day. But what I'm referring to here is not those, those spontaneous prayers. I'm not even referring to those Jesus take the will prayers, thank God for those, but a dedicated time and place that you give God where you meet with him face to face, where you allow his Holy Spirit to teach you what it sounds like to understand the voice of God, a, a place and a time where you learn what it means to articulate the depth of your soul, the dark secrets of your soul, that you learn to wrestle with the issues of our day with God before you learn to wrestle with man, that before you try to lead your household or to be a, a, a person who's respectable in your job, that you learn what it means for God to have his way in your life. And prayer is one of those practical means that we can seek first his kingdom, that we can put God First, that if I, I make this promise to you, and I believe this is a prophetic word for many of you. If you, if you will allow God to bring an ending to your procrastination regarding prayer, 
and you having a prayer time, it will be the beginning of your transformation. That God will use that time for, for you to lay hold of his heart and he will impart himself to you and there will be things that you can't even fathom he can do that you could never do. God would love it if we got to the end of ourselves before we got to the end of the year. God doesn't want to use circumstances, relational crises, to help you understand what it means to finally yield to him. Prayer is that communication to God that says, you know what, Lord, I'm putting you first. And so it is, God wants every single Christ follower to have a prayer life, a culture of prayer. And now when I was asking God about this, man, where do we go with this? How do we, how do we drive this home? I feel like God drew me to an Old Testament story about a guy named Jacob. How many of you are familiar with a guy named Jacob? Old Testament, matter of fact, he became a patriarch. Uh, his, his 12 children became the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, but Jacob's life was a life of struggles. As a matter of fact, the name Jacob, it, it means hill grabber. You see, he had a twin. He was born a twin. And his brother who was born before him. His name was Esau. And as Esau was coming out of his mother's womb, they found that the hand of Jacob was on his brother's heel, was holding his brother's heel. Such the name Jacob. But because Jacob became a man with few scruples, and he became someone who connived and manipulated, manipulated his way to success, he became a very wealthy man, the name Jacob became synonymous with deceiver or supplanter, one who replaces through, through, through you know, wrong, wrong means, uh, gets ahead of other people. And this was Jacob, and this was the character of Jacob. And where we're going to pick up the story in the Bible, Jacob has just left his father-in-law's home. He actually had been in business with his father-in-law. He felt like his life was threatened. Uh, he ended up marrying two of his his married two daughters from this man. Uh, that's a whole other subject. And um, he was fleeing from his father-in-law. Well, while fleeing from his father-in-law, he knew God wanted him to go back. He heard from God he was to go back to his, his own homeland. But that meant he would have to confront his brother, Esau. And for a story that's a whole other time in, in, in our, and for us to talk about, Esau hated Jacob. So Jacob now knows he's got to face his brother. So he's, he's fleed from a father-in-law he doesn't trust. And he's getting ready to run in and confront a brother who has vowed to kill him. Jacob is at his wit's end. He's done his best to get success, and he, he's tried to find his father's blessing. He's tried to get his father-in-law's blessing, and none of it has brought fulfillment. And now in his pursuit to get to another place, to live a different life, he's at the end of himself. He's filled with anxiety. Um, he's exhausted. He has sent bribes ahead of him. Self up to a half a million dollars worth of bribes to try to get his brother to not kill him. I mean, the guy is doing whatever he can. He gets to this place. It's, it's a river. It's called Jabbok, the Jabbok River. And he makes camp. And somewhere in the night, he just, he, he just can't settle. He can't sleep. Some of you have been there. You've been filled with anxiety or fear before. And that's kind of where Jacob's at. And he just decides, I got to be alone. So he sends all of his wealth across the Jabbok River, including his family, his 11 children, his wife. And, and they go across the river, and he's all by himself. So now he's got this huge camp, and he's alone. Now, we don't know what happens. We don't know if he falls asleep. We don't know if he's kind of, um, you know, in a place of great despair and depression. But 
a man shows up uninvited into his camp. And we don't know if he thinks it's Esau or whatever, but a battle, a fight breaks out between him and this man. And that's where we're taking this up. And it's a bizarre story. But if you have your Bibles, let's dive into it. Come on, go to Genesis, first book in the Bible. Yeah, we love the Bible. Chapter 32. And after taking them to the other side, that's the river, the Jabbok River, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. Okay, we don't understand all the details about this. Our imagination could dive into this. For whatever reason, Jacob felt threatened, and a fight breaks out, and, and, and it goes on for a long time. It's not your average little fight that goes 30 seconds to maybe five minutes at the max. We're talking hour after hour. Jacob is fighting this man. And then Jacob realizes who he's fighting isn't a mere man. Look, let's go on. Look at verse 25. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and it wrenched it out of the socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. So it's been all night they've been wrestling. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the, what is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Verse 29, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have what? One. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob. Jacob named the place Peniel which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Now the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. God in the form of a man meets him there. And it's only in Jacob's honesty when he says, what is your name? It's only in that brutal place where he says, I'm the deceiver. I'm the one that keeps trying to supplant. I'm the one that keeps trying to strive in my own power that God actually gives him a new name and blesses him. It's a beautiful picture of redemption, of what God would long to do in people's lives. If you're a Christ follower, it's what God has done for us. He's given you a new identity, a new name. You're Christian. And even as we see in this picture, this beautiful illustration, God longs to be able to bless his people. But when I was reading this, I couldn't help but ask, why the fight? Why the, the wrestling? Why the extended time? I mean, surely God could have just touched his hip early in the early hours of the morning. Why struggle all night long? See, I believe there's a message in that to us. I believe God wants his people to understand something, that he is attracted to the man or woman who will not let him go. Come hell or high water, they will not let God go. That they will learn what it means to wrestle with him through the difficult issues of their life and the complexities of their own soul. When we talk about wrestling with God, it, it really brings with it the mindset of what old, older saints used to talk about, prevailing prayer, travailing prayer, 
to where you stay and you pray with God, you pray to God and you meet with God until there's a resolve in your soul or your spirit. It's where you pray, whether it be for a, a prodigal child, you pray for your spouse, you pray for a situation, situation at work, and while the outward world may not have changed, the material world may have remained the same, you have changed. And God has done something in you to give you a peace that lets you have a new walk and a new step. And you look differently because of that experience with God. This is the prayer life I'm hoping for. This is the vision that I, I really have for you. I want you to know what it means to be a man or woman of prayer. God is attracted to the person who chooses to pray, to have the resilience to develop a prayer culture. See, prayer is our means of wrestling with God and in turn bringing resolution to the complexities of our own life. Prayer is like double-purposed. It's our means of surrendering to God while also contending for our world. Folks, we can't afford going another day and not being able to know what it means to, to be blessed by God. We can't go another day without there being some sense of resolution in our soul that God's got our life and it's under control. There can't go another day without a church rising up to knowing how to pray. Our nation can't go another week of not having a church that knows how to pray. That while we may not see externally everything changing the way we want, we have this peace, this resolution in our soul that our God is enough. That he goes to battle with us and for us. There's a point of honesty that has to happen today. Most of us in this room, we'd call ourselves really good people. Christians who love God and we pray throughout the day. But we'd be walking in self-deception. We'd be Jacob if we're not honest with ourselves about our own lack of having a prayer culture or prayer life. That's part of our legacy. And God didn't tear away the veil, so we would always be on the outside. God wants a people who know what it means to be face-to-face -face with him. That Peniel would not just be our salvation experience, but our daily time with him, face to face. You know, this isn't just an Old Testament visual of a longing for a people that are part of his new covenant. Jesus talked about this. Matter of fact, we're going to go to it in just a second. Uh, Jesus, it tells us in Scripture, would often go to a lonely place to pray. I mean, if, if the Son of God needed to pray, how much more his people and the disciples watched this discipline, this lifestyle of his of prayer. And, and so in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, they ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus says, well, here's how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, our Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here as it is in heaven. And, oh, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. And forgive me, Lord, my trespasses and our trespasses, even as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And he goes on. And it's what we call the Lord's Prayer, really more the disciples' prayer. But Jesus didn't stop there. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 11. I want to read this parable to you, starting in verse 5. Then teaching them 
more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, a friend of mine just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. Now, a little bit of context here in the ancient days, and specifically the Hebrew culture, and really, I would say the whole Arab world even, hospitality is a big deal. So to this day, even in the Arab parts or the Israeli parts of the world, hospitality is a big deal. So if someone shows up at your house and you don't have food, man, you got to take care of them. And if the store is closed, you go to your neighbor. And so that's what's happening here. But this is kind of a taboo. You don't wake someone's family up. So let's read on. It says, and suppose he calls out from his bedroom. So he's gone. So you go to your friend. I've got to have food. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom. Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Door closed, right? Not going to happen. Let's read on. But I tell you, Jesus says, though he won't do it for a friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless, what? Persistence. That God wants a people who are so bold that they, they regularly come before his throne room and they just keep knocking. They refuse to let go of what God wants to do in their life. And if they've got it wrong, then they want to hang on to God until he changes something deep in their soul. This is not us pestering God. This is not God being some slot machine. This is not us hanging on to, to telling God he's got to give us what we want to. This is us holding on to God until he either changes our circumstances or changes us. It brings a close. This is us finding closure in our lives. I know many of us, we pray and we throw out a request to God. That's awesome. But how often do we stay in that prayer time until we either hear him or he gives us a peace and a resolve? See, God wants you to know what it means in your prayer journey to have closure. Though other things may not look any different, he wants you to have closure. Why? Because he wants you to have a different walk, to have a prayer life. I love Jesus goes on in verse 9. He says this, and so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Do you catch the not-so-subtle exhortation to persist in prayer? Just keep on keeping on. Yeah, but I'm done. No, keep on. I'm I'm just weary right now. Keep on. You keep on when you're lonely. You keep on when you're tired. You keep on when it doesn't make any sense. Why? Because you have a God that wants to know, are you willing to be his? This picture of rest and God, I think this is really a picture of God saying, I'm attracted to those who will not let me go. And prayer is a means for us to say, God, I'm going to keep your kingdom first. That before I wrestle with the issues of our day and I wrestle with man and I wrestle with politics and I wrestle with my checkbook, I'm going to get it right with you. I'm going to have your heart. It's beautiful when that happens and you get that blessing from God to proceed and move on. And I like the promise that follows in verse 10. Jesus says, for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Everyone, church, 
That's, that means he's not just talking to the pastors in the house. He's not just talking to the people that are really have a natural bent towards prayer. He's not talking about those of you who are spiritual, you know, uh, people. He, he's talking to everyone, anyone, no matter what your past, no matter what, how many broken relationships you have, no matter what the context of your personal life is today. Though you yourself may be a manipulator, a deceitful person, a trickster at heart, God says, I will meet you where you are. You have but to knock. You have but to seek. You have but to ask. See, the real battle is not us wrestling with God. Jesus has done all the hard work. The real battle is you're going to be wrestling with yourself, your own emotions, your lack of emotions, your lack of this being a discipline in your life, and you've lived your life for so long, and now you're trying to insert something and excel in something that you've just been casual about. It's the wrestling with our own apathy, our own fears, our own anxieties, our attitudes. But nothing compares or competes with a dedicated time in the presence of God. And the awkwardness of silence and the awkwardness of learning to articulate from your mouth the things that are going on in your life, though difficult and work. W-A-O-W-O-R-K, it is work. Because you will have to wrestle through your own tendencies to stop, to give up. But oh, Jesus said, keep on. Keep on keeping on. I like what William Bromwell, great man of prayer, said. He said, how is it that the soul being of such value and God so great, eternity so near, and yet we are so little moved? We learn this from Jacob. We learn this from Christ's model that, that we, need to, we need to literally make the time. We have to make the time. In other words, you can't just say, I'm going to do it. You actually have to have a time. I, I would even ask you right now before you leave here, when will you pray tomorrow? For Jacob, it was in the evening time that he met God. Matter of fact, if you read the story of Jacob, multiple times he meets God, it's in the evening. Others of us, the evenings aren't our most optimal time. When, when will you meet with God? See, when, that time needs to get narrowed down, down to a time that you're most optimal, when you're most mentally and emotionally engaged. All too often, we give God our leftovers. But I'm not asking you to find, what, find the easiest time to get time with God. I'm asking for you to give God your best time. For me, it's not at night. Man, come 9 o'clock, I'm a pumpkin head. It's like, hmm, you know what I'm saying? And you know what? Things get distorted to me at night. My, my, my emotions get, get exaggerated, and things get to maybe blown out of proportion. I have found I'm freshest in the morning. Now, everyone's different, but you need to choose a time. And I'm not even talking about the quantity of time. For some of you just starting, it could be just be five minutes. For others of us, it could be 10, it could be 15. The point is not the quantity right now. It's what time will you personally pray? Um, so number one, we need to have a time. Here's the second thing we learn. Jesus modeled this, man, you got to have a place. And Jacob did too. And that place was a lonely place. A place where even the good things in his life, his family and his wealth, for Jacob, he sent over the Jabbok River, and he was alone. Scripture multiple times tells us Jesus went to a lonely place. See, why? Because we have to confront our loneliness. 
there's a lot of us don't even like ourselves. And God wants to, to teach you what it means to be in prayer to where you turn your loneliness into aloneness with him. This is a really big deal. If you could learn to abide in this way, you will find the secret of abiding in him. You'll find the fruit of the Spirit being cultivated in your life. You'll find the gifts of the Holy Spirit being released in your life by having a time and a place. And the last thing is, and probably the most important thing, and I close with this idea, is just you need to have a vision of yourself as a prayer warrior. You need to have a vision. See, until you see yourself as a man or a woman of prayer, this is never going to happen. This is just going to be a fluke incident, something small on the radar. But, but you have to see yourself. Here's, now, here's what I need to do. Everyone look at me. Some of you, you see your grandma as a prayer warrior. You may think prayer warriors, prayer, people of prayer, are those elite crack troops in God's church. No. Jesus said, everyone who comes. I want you to see yourself as a prayer warrior. Not grandma, you. We got some some, some, some men in the house and some ladies in the house and for some reason you don't feel like you can see your, that has to change. Scales are being removed. Ears are being opened. God says to you, he speaks over your life, you are a prayer warrior in the making. But God will not force you to have a time or a place. But right now he can give you a vision for it. What does it look like? God wants you to begin to show you what it looks like. Where you begin to wrestle with him regarding the issues of our day and the own issues of your life. And it's powerful. There's a man, that I, I love to read his books. His name is Watchman Nee. And he was a, an amazing believer. He gave his life to the Lord as a teenager. Eventually became a preacher. And um, was persecuted by communist China rested multiple times, eventually died in 1972, still in prison when he should have been released in 1969. They hated him. And yet this man is considered the father of the underground church in China. That to this day, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people have given their lives to Christ. How did this man lived most of his adult life in persecution, in and out of prison. So many challenges his whole life. He would tell you the secret was him learning how to pray. Come what may to learn how to pray. And he said this, and I'm going to share this quote with you. He said, man, our, our, our prayers lay the track down which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible. But it cannot reach us without the rails. Christ follower, for God's power to be revealed in your life, we must start laying the track. You cannot leave it to your spouse. You cannot expect for your church to do it. It's a time of you owning yourself as a man of integrity. You step up to the plate and you say, God, teach me how to pray. You know, why do I have often us pray out loud? And at the end of the church here, we'll pray together um, with those who give their lives to Christ. But why do I have us pray out loud? Because I want you to hear what it sounds like to hear a man or woman of God pray. And here's the thing, that man or woman is you. Give me your eyes for a second. You are that man or woman of prayer. 
It's time you, you send your wealth over the river. You, you send your relationships over the river. And you learn to cultivate your own prayer life. And there's no pressure because God is patient. He's loving kindness. His mercies are new every day. But today, you begin being a man or woman of prayer. Because here comes the power, church. The locomotive, the mighty locomotive of God's power. He but needs the tracks to be laid. He will visit you. And you will refer back to this day as Peniel. The day I learned to meet God face to face. If we, being broken people in humanity, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God want to give you himself when you ask for it? Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.